And as a small investor, the best thing you can do for you is to hire professional property management because that's not the business you're in. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. Every once in a while, there comes a service that revolutionizes an industry. And I am proud to say that our best ever sponsor, Cozy, is that service for landlords and tenants. Cozy simplifies the rental process for everyone. Simply put, Cozy makes it easy to collect rent online, to screen tenants, to order credit reports, to do all the things that you are currently doing manually, but to automate it so that you can focus on more important things like growing your portfolio this year. The best part is that Cozy is completely free. It's free. There aren't any minimums, there aren't any transaction fees or monthly payments. No other service on the planet offers this to you for free. And one of the things that I love about Cozy is that Cozy automatically collects and transfers the rent so that every month you don't have to worry about forgetful tenants forgetting to pay you the rent. You can actually receive that rent automatically in your bank account, no questions asked. So you can say goodbye to paper checks, late payments, and all those lame excuses. And here's your chance to simplify your life and make more money. Join me and sign up for Cozy at Cozy.co. That's C-O-Z-Y dot C-O. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, John Wilhoyt Jr. Hi, John. Hi, Joe. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the show. John is joining us from Columbia, Missouri, home of the Missouri Tigers, right? Evermore. 149 years and growing. Yeah. I assume that's a phrase that they use. Well, actually, I don't know the exact number of years, so please, alumni, don't hold me to that. (laughs) I I do know that they used to be in the Big 12 with Texas Tech, my alma mater, and now they've gone over to the big and bad SEC, at least for football purposes, big and bad SEC. And the tail does wag the rest of the Tigers. So, yes, it's football, but all the other sports did go over. Also, everybody's not happy about it, excepting the football program winning certainly does take a sting out of the departure. There you go. And Missouri has academics as well. I know that. To a large degree. Yes, to a large degree. It's the largest research university in the state, and it's very similar to University of Wisconsin and Madison and Nebraska, and just a large research university with about 40,000 students. So we are a college town, and it's it's a good spot to live. It's a great place. It's got four seasons, just a little bit of snow, but not enough to, you know, be exceptionally annoying. But we do get the four seasons and we do get a lot of kids here that are here for a good purpose to, you know, to grow their career and to learn what it is they want to do next and go out into the world and become productive citizens. And that's why we're having a conversation with you to grow and to learn. And a little bit about John and his background. He is managing the advised clients with over 60,000 units across 38 states. He is the president of Win LLC where he's a consultant to property management companies. He's an asset manager to owners of multifamily and a project manager for multifamily assets in construction phase. He's also the author of Multifamily Insight Volume 1, 
how to acquire wealth through the right multifamily assets in the right markets. And he's obviously an investor himself who owns and operates his own portfolio of approximately 200 units. So with that being said, John, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on right now? Sure. My background is real estate and then more real estate. And over time, it did grow into focus on exclusively multifamily. And multifamily means units that are greater than four. So anything that's five or more is what equates to a multifamily unit. From an institutional perspective, multifamily means 100 units or more per site. So that's predominantly what I focus on is institutional size and quality assets. But the assets that I own are smaller than that, as us individuals usually do. You know, we can't jump into those institutional assets. So I've bought units uh, or deals between the range of 30 and 70 units personally. And that's what we have as our owned portfolio, myself and uh, my family. But professionally, I work almost exclusively with larger clients, those that are focused on institutional sized and quality assets. As Joe had mentioned, I've worked on deals all over the country. I think there's just a few states I haven't been in. Maybe, Joe, I should up that to a few more states. But in my experience as an asset manager, I've had portfolios that ranged anywhere from a low of one to 2,000 units up to a high of 10,000 units. Now, not any one person can asset manage that portfolio, right? But as a senior, senior asset manager, I would have people that would do site visits, that would do lease dispositions, that would do lease up, that would provide and significantly go over the construction phase analysis. So all those things roll up into a single report that's done on a weekly, monthly, or quarterly basis, depending on what stage the asset is in. You know, pre-construction, you're spending money every week. So you're looking at those assets and the dollars that are going out into that asset every week. As it stabilizes, quarterly reports is more consistent because if stabilized asset, stabilized operations are just that, then there's not as much to look at after the asset becomes stabilized. We hear about asset management, and I'm really glad that you gave some specific examples of what you do. Can you can you help me have a better understanding of what a particular client, why a particular client would come to you and what exactly you would do? Sure. As an asset manager, you are basically the owner's representative. So what does that mean? In any particular property, there's certain aspects that have to feed through someone, right? Through somewhere. So if you are the owner of that asset, and let's just use an example of a $1 million property that is in a suburb. So that $1 million property, if you, Mr. and Mrs. Owner, have a day job, you're not necessarily going to be managing that property, right? That's perfectly fine. But there will be a manager of that property, even if it's not you. So someone has to report to someone. And if they're not reporting to the, to the owner, then they're likely reporting to the owner's representative. So for smaller assets such as that, it may be the owner's accountant or attorney that's interacting with the property manager on what funds are spent, what's going on, what's, what's occurring on a consistent basis, not operationally day-to-day, but functionally as an owner. As the asset base grows, then the function of asset management becomes that much more important because there's that many more assets, that many more moving pieces. So the asset manager is, in essence, someone who reports to the owner but addresses the asset from the owner's perspective and utilizing the expertise they have in that asset class to make sure that things are running as they should. 
For example, in that $1 million asset, if things are not running as they should, the asset manager can make suggestions or recommendations on how the property manager can do a better job. And if, in fact, that doesn't occur, then it's the asset manager's role to change out the property manager so that the asset can take uh, advantage of the best management available to manage the asset in the best possible way on behalf of the owner through the asset manager for the property itself. So if in, in that example, if I'll use the, the profession of doctors, if a couple doctors has a, a property and they don't have the time to dedicate towards it because the money that they saved up came from their full-time job to buy that in the first place, therefore they're continuing to work and, and try and acquire more properties. Someone like you, an asset manager, would come into play and you don't manage the property on a day-to-day basis, but you oversee it on a weekly basis and you read the reports and you make sure that things are running smoothly, then you give your expertise based on what you've learned from your previous years of experience and what you know about that property to optimize the performance, right? Right. And let me give you a few examples of variant sizes. So if, if that couple owns a few single family homes, they really don't need a, uh, an asset manager, right? I mean, they're, they're going to be interacting with their property manager maybe even meeting with them once in a month or once in a quarter for any questions they may have. And, and as a small investor, the best thing you can do for you is to hire professional property management because that's not the business you're in. If you are in that business, that's all well and good. But if it's an aside, if it's just a segment of your portfolio and real estate should be approximately 15% of your portfolio, as an investor, minus the house you live in. So if you own a few houses, a few duplexes, a few fourplexes, professional property management is something you need to build into your price point on the acquisition side so that you don't have to manage. Too many people make that narrow escape into buying a deal that they've bootstrapped into, which, you know, God bless you if that's what you want to do, go for it. But if you do that and have not factored in professional property management, then who's going to manage? It's one thing to bootstrap in. It's another to bootstrap in and create an additional job for yourself that you're not in a position to accomplish. So something's got to give on that front, right, if you do that. So best of all worlds, please, please do not over leverage and build in property management on the buy side when you buy a property and go into it then you've already got people to help. You already have that team concept that on closing day, you have already selected someone that will be responsible for day-to-day management. Now, that same rule applies for a single family or a duplex or a 48-unit multifamily property because, again, unless you're willing to go in there and manage yourself, then you really need to build in the dollars necessary for professional property management. And that makes it a quasi-passive investment, right? If you don't do that, you're automatically creating for yourself an active investment. So it's one thing to invest. It's another thing to invest and not prepare for being an active manager. With asset management, what does a typical asset management fee look like? Because I know what property management fees look like. How do asset managers get compensated and what's the fee structure? The larger the assets, the smaller the fee structure. So if, if you're a, a portfolio asset manager of exclusively credit, meaning mortgage debt, your asset management may fee may be as little as a quarter to a half percent. Uh, if it's an active tax credit property that has significant oversight necessary, 
that asset management fee may be four or five percent. And four or five percent of revenue, not the worth of the asset. No, no. But if it's if it's standard multifamily as an example, and I should I should say garden properties or institutional quality properties, those that are one to two hundred units, asset management fee of one to two percent is not uncommon. Of revenue. Of revenue, yes. Of collected revenue. Typically how often is that paid? Is that annual, quarter? Quarterly, sometimes in arrear, sometimes in advance. Just depends. Depends on the structure, yeah. Most of what we're talking about here, Joe, right, based on your audiences, is stuff that is under 100 units. So assets under 100 units, unless you have multiples of those, asset management is not very likely. People just don't make the point of affording it. But as you get beyond 200, 400 units, then the asset management function becomes imperative because someone has to interact not only with the property management, but with the attorneys and the accountants and sometimes vendors, also capital expenditures, all the other things that are necessary to run a property, but are not necessarily day-to-day matters to run a property. And this is also really relevant to anyone raising money, putting together multifamily deals, because they would be in your shoes as the asset manager where they're not necessarily, and I'm I'm in the same position um, where I don't necessarily do the day-to-day management, but I manage the asset and speak to the attorneys, the accountants, and capital expenses, all that good stuff. Right. So it's real, I'm really glad that you mentioned the type of fee range that deal syndicators should be charging. And obviously, it depends on the property and depends on um, other circumstances. But 1% to 2% of the revenue is sounds like a good benchmark. Well, we're, we probably won't go into a discussion of waterfalls here, right? But <laughs> as a general partner of a syndicated, asset management fees will be part of your fee structure, but they're separate and distinct from participation. So it's a necessary function because as a general partner, let's say that you're syndicating deals and you're doing one deal a year okay, of $10 million. And over the course of five years, you've rolled up to $50 million in assets. As a general partner, you probably do not have the time to be the asset manager and the general partner. You're going to have to either uh, do that as a third-party source that your investors may like because it brings that that uh, that firewall between the general partner, the property, and the asset manager up, which is seldom a, a, a bad thing because more oversight is usually positive, particularly when things are structured appropriately. But even if you don't do that, you're still going to need people or dedicated asset managers at that $50 million mark. Because as as you know, you can't do uh, investor relations, um, general partner work related to increasing the value of the portfolio and asset management work and CapEx work, et cetera, et cetera. You start to get too thin. So those responsibilities such as asset manager pop out as something that needs to be handed off either to a third-party company or handed off and made into a standalone function under the umbrella of the general partner. Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Best ever would be to stay appropriately leveraged. And I know that's not as a direct answer as you as you would like or many others would like, but appropriate leverage means different things to different people. So as an investor, you need to determine what that is for you. But if you uh, consider what I shared earlier about building in management 
into the deal structure so that you are not, you, the individual investor, are not forced to take on management based on financial pressure, then that in and of itself will uh, force you to deleverage, meaning use more cash and less debt, and put you in a better position to sleep at night, regardless of the economic happenings uh, that, that occur out here in the real world. What's staying appropriately leveraged to you personally? 65% max would be a great number. And what do you mean by that? 65% maximum loan to value, meaning for every million dollars invested, you place $350,000 cash in the deal, of which part of that three fifty dollars could be in a reserve function. So that doesn't mean your loan to value is as low as 65, but it means that your cash position, excuse me, your equity position and cash reserves equates to 35% of the deal. So that's an optimal amount. At some point, as your equity increases over time, as prices increase, as your loan decreases and you have greater amounts of equity, you may need to refinance to get back up to that number because too much equity in a deal can also be a bad thing over time. But as an acquirer of assets, 65% LTV to 70 is a good, solid number. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. First, a quick word from our sponsor. Best ever listeners, it's 2015, and wouldn't you like to simplify the landlording process and automate it as much as possible while making more money along the way? It's a landlord's dream, right? With online rent payments, applications, and secure credit reports, Cozy makes being a landlord incredibly easy. And best of all, it's completely free. Sign up for Cozy at Cozy.co. That's C-O-Z-Y dot C-O. Okay, John, best ever book. In the last year, the best ever book I've, I've uh, read was The 4-Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris. The best part of that book for me was making the distinction between efficiency and effectiveness. It really made me stop and think about the what I do on a day-to-day basis and try to do things that are not just efficient but are also effective. Best ever listeners, I know you like audio, so you can go to freebesteverbook.com and get a free audio version of a book like that. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it. Probably raising children. I mean, just because there's, you know, there's there these dynamic personalities that actually live in your house and uh, they bring something home different every day, another challenge, uh, but also another blessing. And germs. And germs daily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm hanging out with my nephew and my niece and my other nephew over the holiday break, and I, I've gotten a cough. Yeah, and wet ones. I mean, they didn't exist ten years ago, but now it's you know it's a standard at everyone's house. Best ever success habit you practice? Uh, this is a hard one, but but I try to do it. Uh, returning every phone call, and that doesn't mean I drop what I'm doing to make that phone call. But uh, you know, anyone who calls me, whether it's an irate, and then fill in the blank there. <laughs> Uh, whatever that issue is, I try to address it in, in, in reasonable time, but I try to address each and every one on a consistent basis so that there's never that thing out there that's in the back of your mind taking up space, you know, called worry or just, for lack of a better word, taking up space. So uh, return every phone call and do it when you're in a position in a place that you can accomplish the task and not just put it off to later. Best ever deal you've done? I don't know if there's necessarily a, a single deal, but there's some portfolios that I've that I've put together that have worked better than others. And one of the reason I say it that way is if the originating group sticks together and they're all under the same strategy initially, 
then that portfolio is going to have a much larger level of success than one where the people are changing in and out. I mean, if you're just talking about dollars and cents, probably when I was you know, young, making 10 and $20,000 on flipping houses at that time, that was you know, huge fortunes at the time. Um, but post-college, in the professional world, uh, the best ever deals that I've been involved in are those that we likely saved from going under, those where I've had consultancy option um, engagements, where we've taken a property that was you know, 30 or 60 days from going into the hands of the bank and turning it into a viable asset that the owners were able to keep for themselves and their families and their investors. Best ever project you're excited about right now? The, the one that, that I'm still excited about is Property Management Leadership Academy that I do with Power Hour. It's a weekly leadership academy where we uh, consult with property management companies around the country. Uh, one per city, one only per city, and we talk about growing revenue and controlling expenses from a property management entity perspective, and that's the focal point of our discussions week in and week out. Best ever quote. I had one, and it's a friend of mine that's local, and you know, I, as I shared, this is a small college town, and it's one of my friends who grew up here, and that's no small task, you know, in a, in a college town that has so much. Um, traffic in and out people you know they come for a season and then they leave he's been here for his 49 plus years and um, during the recession he's, we were having breakfast and he said you know what John I planned for a rainy day but I didn't plan for a rainy decade what's that mean to you it was just such so true based on you know everything that occurred after 2009 many of us look for cycles and, and we know that there's going to be some rainy days but no one could anticipate just how much rain there was going to be how many things were going to change within the, within and after the financial crisis. And it's still with us today. Now, it's not a remnant either. It's still with us today. When one year turned into two, turned into three, turned into four, that was uh, just quite the arduous task for so many of us in this industry. What's the best ever place to reach you? Uh, through my blog, multifamilyinsight.net. Uh, on, the, on the author's page, you, there's my website and email address and likely a phone number. So I'm not that hard to catch. And as I've already shared, I do return every phone call, but it is not necessarily the same day. <laughs> but I do get back with people uh, in a reasonable amount of time. John, thank you so much for sharing your advice with the best ever listeners, your background and experience across real estate. But then, you know, really this conversation, we focused in on multifamily. And uh, one of the takeaways I got from our conversation is really around asset management and the different types of responsibilities that an asset manager has the opportunities that where there are opportunities for asset managers for people who have the full-time job have the portfolio need someone to manage a property management company there's a role there that needs to be filled and then you know your best ever advice about to stay appropriately leveraged you mentioned for you personally that 65 percent uh, max loan to value but that can change you know based on who you are and your your uh, you know the risks that you want to um, have on your your balance sheet so thank you for being on the show sharing your advice with the best ever listeners and i'll talk to you soon great thanks joe hey you best ever listener do you want more then go to joefairless.com, where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done.
And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever. 